0: How are you out there, Man, Ernie? Good. Feel like taking pictures? You guys look so beautiful out there. Postcard. So we're in Ephesians chapter four. We've been in our series on spiritual improvements. We started this uh, New Year's when uh, people are making resolutions about what they're going to improve in themselves. I would, I would, I'm not a betting man or a gambling man, but I, I would bet that most of those are broken by now. Gym memberships never to be returned. Exercise bikes that will hold clothing until you throw them out. We really can't make long-lasting, effective changes in ourselves unless the Holy Spirit's involved. Amen. When God initiates the change, he gives us the power to change because it's not just changing the external facade. It's the change on the inside that counts. Yeah. Right. I always say God changes from the inside out. Amen. Man, you can make the exterior look a little better every once in a while. I mean, the right clothes, the right angle, the right, you know, this is my good side. Yeah. But it's the inside that matters. And God wants to make some improvements in his people because he wants us to look more like Jesus. So. We're in Ephesians 4 today. I'm going to read you verses 24 through uh, 25 through 32. Our verse that we're going to unpack this morning is verse 29. We're talking about the things that come out of our mouths. Now, I always make sure the ushers have the doors locked before I announce that because, <laughs> you know, it's like all of us have issues with our mouths. Say mouth. mouth. Yep, we've all got one. I heard yours now, so I know. Father, we thank you for Ephesians 4. We thank you for spiritual improvements. We thank you that you're working inside us to change us from the inside out, to make us more like Jesus and to deliver us from all the attitudes and habits that uh, are not pleasing to you, Lord. So we ask as we explore this text together that each of us would get what we need from you, Lord, and we leave changed in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor. According to his own hands, what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Here's our target verse, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Powerful verses there, powerful uh, spiritual improvements that the Lord is working into us, bringing us to maturity. We start with this verse here, uh, let no unwholesome say unwholesome. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And that's quite a statement in and of itself. We've covered a few topics here. We looked at lying, and lying has no place in the life of a Christian. But we live in a generation that thinks lying is okay as long as it avoids discomfort. We talked about dealing with anger properly. Anger is a legitimate human emotion. How many people have been angry uh, this week? And how many people are lying right now because you didn't raise your hand? We get angry all the time, every day. Look, if you drive in traffic, you've been angry. But anger is legitimate, but we need to express it in a way that's consistent with godliness. That when Expressing our anger in a way that's righteous. And we talked about righteous indignation. Uh, then we talked about stealing last time we were together. And even though our culture is l- relaxing about stealing, you know, there's some cities where if you steal under $1,000 in a store right now, they don't even charge you. you know, should we get a bus trip to that city and go <laughs> shopping? And, no. I mean, it's crazy that our culture is backing off from stealing. And you look at our society is falling apart. And there's places where you go into the stores in the inner city, the shelves are bare. Why? Because they've been looted clean. People can't get groceries and they can't get medicine. God says for the Christian, lying has got to go and stealing has got to go. And and our, our anger has to be handled correctly. We continue here with a topic that each of us could use some work on. We're talking about spiritual improvements. And that's with the issue of what's coming out of our mouths. Sometimes the best way to control your mouth is not to open it. Do you ever feel like some days just applying two layers of duct tape across your mouth? Any married people ever said stuff and you have still, you're still paying for it? Come on, raise your hand. Well, our mouths need to be under control and what comes out of our mouths is important because here's why. Because the most accurate indicator of what's going on in our hearts is by what's coming out of our mouths. Did you ever hear somebody say something really that they shouldn't have said and they say oh that slipped out well no it didn't slip out it's just that that's what was in your heart and you you know you stopped you know guarding your mouth for a second and you said what was really in there Luke 645 says this a good man out of the good treasures of his heart bring forth that which is good and an evil man out of the evil treasures in his heart bring forth that which is evil listen For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I thought I had problems with my mouth. In fact, when I was a teenager, a lot of people told me that. Anybody remember being a teenager when you knew everything and you just felt that it was your job to straighten out all the adults who were dumb, that you would tell them what was... and, And you just started saying stuff. Do you remember that? When you started to talk back to your parents come on, don't, don't pretend it was just me. I know some of you. <laughs> and that mouth gets you in trouble. You start saying things. I don't know. My grandparents' generation, my parents, man, you didn't say certain things that people say now to their parents. My wife and I have been on the baseball field watching children curse at their parents. Yeah, boo. But why is that? Our mouths are out of control. And what's in our hearts now is a problem because it comes out of our mouths. And The Bible says here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I didn't have a mouth problem. You didn't have a mouth problem. In fact, right now, we don't have a mouth problem. We have a heart problem. What's in our hearts comes out of our mouths. We're going to explore that a little bit today and see how we can fix that. But here's a dangerous prayer to pray if you're feeling dangerous. Anyone feeling dangerous today? Two people. Praise God. Okay. (laughs) If you're feeling dangerous, here's a dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, show me what's in my heart dangerous. Because you know why? He just might show you what's in there. And sometimes it surprises us. If my heart's filled with anger, if it's filled with bitterness, if there's jealousy in my heart, if there's fear in my heart or insecurity, all that stuff is eventually going to come out. You can guard it. You can keep a a watch on it. You can try not to show it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we have this way of kind of keeping things inside for a while, but eventually they get out. You know, when you first start to date somebody, you're like, I don't want to show that side of me, or I don't want to show this, or we don't want to talk about that. But if you get married, eventually it comes out. Amen. Any married people here today? Is it going to be 32 years for us today? Everything that has. (laughs) We're going to be married. Look, there's everything that's in here has come out and she's heard it. (laughs) And so our hearts are the issue, not our mouths. And if we ask the Holy Spirit to show us what's in our hearts so that he can begin to heal those things, take care of the anger and the bitterness and the jealousy and the insecurity, we can have a healed heart so that what comes out of our mouth, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth would speak good things that are pleasing to the Lord. Verse 29 puts it this way, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Now, there are many implications there. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you the, uh, the the meaning of that word unwholesome, but let's start with the word let. It says here, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The implication in that statement is this, that ultimately we have a choice. If I can decide to let something out or keep something in, that means I have some degree of control over what comes out of my mouth. Now, I know there's times where all of us have felt, I have no control out of what's coming out of my mouth right now. Come on, in traffic, you know what I'm talking about. That you lose control. But in essence, you and I determine what comes out of our mouths. And in the final analysis, we're responsible for what comes out of our mouths. So let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Here's a news flash today. Just because you think something doesn't mean you should say it. And all the married people said, amen. You know, there's there's certain age groups where they think they can say whatever they want. Teenagers and real old people. (laughs) But in the middle, when you're trying not to get killed by your spouse, you you have a little self-control. But just, (laughs) you ever meet somebody that has no filter and whatever, you could see whatever they think, they say it. And sometimes you could see them thinking and they're like, and you're like, no. Once it's out there, it's out there. You can't take it back. Anybody ever say things you like to take back? Amen. Sometimes after a service, I go right to the booth there and destroy the CD or the. (laughs) I don't think we even. I don't know how to stop it anymore. It's just. Once you say something, you say something on social media, it's forever. It's out there. Somebody's got a copy of it. So we've got to deal with our hearts so that our mouths fall in line. And just because we think something doesn't mean we should say it because we have ultimate control over our mouths. Let no unwholesome word come out of our mouth. Now, when exercising self-control with our speech, there are three things we should all avoid. And here they are, the three Cs. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, three things we should avoid with our speech, cursing, complaining, and criticizing. Amen. Let's explore those, and let's have fun and start with cursing first. This morning, we're going to get somebody up here to give an example of what cursing... No, I'm just kidding. None of us need an example. All of us get it, right? Cursing is something that we should avoid. Now, when you think of unwholesome speech, the first thing that should come to your mind immediately is cursing. Yet, we live in a cursing generation. Isn't that true? People have always cursed, but we've, we've removed all the restraints off of cursing. People curse all the time, everywhere, doesn't matter. I've been introduced to people. This is Pastor Rick. I shake the hand, and within minutes, the person's cursing. There's no civility. There's no, uh, there, there's no it, it's just the lid is off. The gloves are off. We live in a cursing generation, and it's a vulgar generation, and people use foul language in the public square like it's punctuation. And we can all relate to this. Don't try and seem holy in church. I I understand, you know, all of us work in areas and we're around people and we drive in traffic and we're going to hear vulgarity. You're going to hear it on primetime TV. You're going to hear it on the radio. You're going to hear it on the news. You're going to hear it from our politicians. When did that start happening? That politicians just, you know, they used to try to keep the guys that they were, you know, people of integrity and control. Now they just curse. And that's the generation that we live in. It's a cursing generation. And we've got cussing Christians and swearing saints too. Now, it used to be that only the worst of people would curse. In fact, if you cursed or used that language in public or in front of a certain crowd, you were considered, you know, a low-class person or someone that, you know, was at the dregs of society. People would say things like, they cursed like a sailor. Why? Because sailors were a particularly rough bunch. Apparently, everyone in our generation has taken up sailing at this point. Everyone cusses, young people, old people, rich people, poor people, the ignorant and the well-educated alike. I've heard people stand up and give speeches in, you know, uh, Ivy League institutions, and they're, they're saying words that you would never have whispered in the alley in my grandfather's generation. It's shocking that the rich and the poor and the young and the old use such language. It's become so commonplace in our conversation, that it has become grotesque. It used to be that improper use of uh, language, that foul language or cursing, would not even be done in the presence of a lady. Do you remember those days? You got to think back, think back, think back to when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and where you you wouldn't say certain things in front of a lady. Where are my ladies today? All right, two or three of them. Okay. I liked it back then when we'd have some respect for the fair sex. But here, what the problem is that now our ladies curse in such a free way that they could make a Marine Corps drill sergeant blush. I've seen things in traffic, in the supermarket, in the parking lot, where do you kiss your mother with that mouth in common conversation? Look how far we've fallen. Yet, What's coming out of our mouths is in our hearts, and it's not pleasing to God. And so if we're Christians, we need to deal with, uh, you know, these unwholesome words that come out of our mouth. Look, and I know everybody struggles and everybody has their moments. I remember uh, just when I was growing up, my grandfather was a, a truck driver in the South Bronx, and he, I mean, he invented some of his own words. He was really good at it. But my nana, my sweet little nana never said a bad word until she got Alzheimer's. (laughs) And then we're like, well, where did nana learn that? From Poppy. That's where she learned that. (laughs) But you see, if it's in your heart, when your guard is down, it'll come out of your mouth. So I understand you hit your finger with a hammer. You might not say the prettiest words. You bite your tongue. Anybody ever bit their tongue like for the third time? Yeah, amen. That that'll make a saint swear right there, I'm telling you. So I, I get that. When we're in pain or we're in shock or something, but when we're using vulgarity in common conversation, something's wrong with our hearts. And God needs to heal that thing. So the Bible has some things to say to the Christian who cusses. And Ephesians 5, 4 says this, And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So for the Christian, our our speech shouldn't be vulgar. It shouldn't be foolish talk or vulgar joking. Sure, we can have a sense of humor. Sure, we can laugh. But the things that we say shouldn't be vulgar to, to get a laugh. Exodus 27, the scripture actually commands us about cursing. Now, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. People curse the name of God. People use God's name as a curse. It says "Why? For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The worst cussing of all is not the worst word that you think you can think of. The queen mother of all dirty words. No, the worst cursing is when people use God's name as a curse. Amen. Now, I've been around the block. I've, I've worked in construction. I've heard all the curse words. And you know what? I feel sorry for people that use that in such a way that it's, it's, it degrades them. But it doesn't offend me. But what does offend me, what does hurt my heart is when people take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. The scripture says God will God, God will not let it go. God's not going to just wink at that. There's a punishment attached to using God's name as a curse. So cursing's got to go, and it's something that God wants to work in us and get out of our hearts so that what comes out of our mouths is not unwholesome. These are spiritual improvements. The the second thing that we have to deal with when it comes to uh, unwholesome speech is cursing is number one, and then number two is criticizing. Say criticizing. criticizing. Cursing is bad. It's real bad, but having a sharp tongue and a critical spirit is equally as bad. There are some people who consider themselves good Christians and very holy, and they would never say a cuss word, but they criticize everybody and everything all the time, even the preacher right now. I wish he'd go on. I wish he'd stop. I wish his clothes would match. I wish. You ever meet him? critical, critical spirit, criticizing all the time, would never dare cuss, much too holy for that, but criticizing is equally as bad. And the religious person who would never dare cuss, but tears others apart with their critical spirit and the barrage of relentless criticism is equally offensive to God. Fault finding, being judgmental, being critical of others. What does that do? People like that are grace killers. God gives us grace for our rough edges. Amen. Amen. God gives us grace. Why? Because we're in process. God's working on us. Uh, Yeah, there are things wrong with me, but I'm not finished yet, and God's not finished with me yet, and he's not finished with you yet. So when we look at somebody who's got some rough edges and we're critical of them and we criticize them, we put ourselves in the place of God. Who are we to criticize God's workmanship? Who are we to criticize another man's servant, the scripture says to us. So the critical spirit has got to go. Why? Because it kills grace. Do you know why people, uh, the people who criticize others constantly, you know why they do that? They do kill grace, but here's the reason they do it. They're not happy with themselves. And there again, this boils down to a hard issue. If I've always got to pick at others, Don, if I've always got to point out their flaws, you know the type of people, they can walk into a room that you just painted and everything's beautiful, all the lines are cut in nice, and they can instantly find the one spot you missed. And they're like, don't you love them? It's quiet, so maybe you are some of them. That critical spirit, they've been trained to find the flaw. Why? Because they're unhappy with themselves and the flaws that they have to deal with. So realize when a person's criticizing you and picking at you and tearing you down, it's not about you, it's more about them. It really reveals that they're not happy with themselves. Now, talking about criticism here, we've got to talk about one area of criticism that's legitimate, and that's constructive criticism. How many would say that you've benefited from constructive criticism sometime in your life? Amen. And thank God for the person who loved you enough to to take the risk to offend you, to give you the criticism so that it could help you get better. Amen. Constructive criticism is a good thing. It's positive. It's healthy. And we should be spiritually mature enough to receive constructive criticism from other people. Yet there are so many people in our generation that doesn't submit to any authority that everybody gets a trophy and everybody is right and nobody's wrong. In this generation, there are so many people that say, nobody can criticize me. Nobody can tell me what's right and I won't receive correction from anyone or anything. That's a dangerous way to live. That dooms you to learning everything in life the hard way. The reason constructive criticism is constructive is because we can learn from others' mistakes without having to doing them ourselves. We don't have to learn everything the hard way. So when someone criticizes you and they do it out of love, receive it, amen? Now, how about the person who criticizes you, but they don't do it out of love? Well, you know what? If we're wise, we can overlook their rough edges, and if what they're saying is true, we can receive that too. Did you ever receive criticism from somebody that you just didn't want to hear it from? You know when your spouse corrects you and they're right? Oh, darn it, they're right. Have you ever been wrong in an argument with your spouse and you continue to argue anyway? Because you thought, maybe I can pull this out. Maybe I can just wear them out a little bit. Maybe I can throw up enough smoke screens that they forget what they were talking about. But I just I'm too proud to take the criticism because they're right. This happens in marriages, and we have to humble ourselves, amen. Amen. We have to say, honey, you're right. All the women are (laughs) going. She's spoken a lot of things into my life that I didn't want to hear at the moment, but she was right. And if we're wise, we'll be able to receive criticism from people who love us, even if they give it to us the wrong way. And even the person who doesn't love us but they say something that's so true a boss at work or or a co-worker or a peer just calls you out and they nail you and you're busted receive that criticism it'll make you better constructive criticism is good and we should be spiritually mature enough to receive it but destructive criticism is never good we should never correct someone to humiliate them, to destroy them, to make them feel bad about themselves. We should never correct someone to shut them up so they would never dare interact with us again. That's unwholesome speech, and it's not pleasing to God. It has no place in the life of a Christian. It has no place in our relationships. So cussing, complaining, and Criticizing are the things that we have to deal with. And we've looked at cursing and we've looked at criticizing. So let's move on to complaining. Now, all of us can agree probably at this point that cursing and criticizing are not pleasing to God and they've got to go. Yet a lot of people don't realize that complaining is unwholesome speech as well. In fact, by the amount of heads that are not nodding. My work is cut out for me. Complaining is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) Complaining is not a character strength. Well, you know, know, I'm really critical and discerning, and I can find fault everywhere, and I can find all the problems, and so, you know, I I like to complain about it so everybody knows. Complaining is not pleasing to God. In fact, we're going to unpack complaining here and realize that, you know, those who complain... Constantly in a steady stream of complaining, something is wrong with their hearts. Did you ever get yourself in a mood? Did you ever get yourself in a mode? Did you ever just wake up on the wrong side of bed and you just were complaining about everything? Amen. I've had days like that. I'm like, I'm going back to sleep and trying again tomorrow. But we get in these moods and these modes, and when a, when what comes out of our mouth is a constant river of complaining, something's wrong with our hearts. And I can guarantee God is not pleased with our speech. There was a monk who joined a monastery many years ago, and the stipulation to join the monastery was he had to take a vow of silence, and he was only allowed to say two words every ten years. Woo! That was, some of us two words every ten minutes, and we die. Some, so he joins the monastery. After 10 years the head monk calls him into the office and said, "Would you like to say anything?" And he said, "Food bad." <laughs> all right, food bad, all right. So another 10 years passed by and the monk is again given his opportunity to speak his two words. It's been 20 years. He says, "What do you got to say?" He said, "Bed hard." Oh, okay. Guy walks out. Ten years later, he comes back, and the head monk says to him, well, it's been 30 years. You know, you've said four words. What would you like to say? I quit. (laughs) And the head monk said, well, it doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. (laughs) Six words. That's all he said, six words. But, you know, when the sum total of what comes out of us is complaining, there's a problem with our hearts. And here's... The issue with complaining, I'm going to give you three problems with complaining. Number one is this. Complaining offends God. It's quiet. Oh, God doesn't care if we complain. Yes, he does. Why? Because he's our source. He's the one who provides our needs. He's the one who made us the way we are. Come on, how many have looked in the mirror and and looked at the way God made you and said, I want to talk to the manager? How many people (laughs) have been there? Right? Right? We complain about this. I, we nip it, we tuck it, we suck it out, we, we paint it different colors. We're not happy with the way we look. So we complain here. God made us, God provides for us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He gave us our voice, our personality. All of these things were fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. We're unique, yet we complain about it. And when we complain, it's as if we're making accusations of at God, as if He messed up. When the Hebrews under Moses were led out of Egypt, come on, we've all, you know, we've all seen the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston. And uh, remember Moses was Charlton Heston? Yeah, that's that's the real Moses, I'm convinced. And he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They were under Pharaoh's thumb. And through ten miraculous plagues, God leads them out of bondage, drowns Pharaoh's army, sets them free, and makes them a new nation, a new people. And what do they do as soon as they get into the wilderness? They complain, complain, complain. They complain about everything. It's too hot. It's too cold at night. My tent's leaking. My sandal's broken. I I don't want to eat manna anymore. We need some meat. And they complain to the point where they drove Moses nuts. And they complain to the point that they got God mad at them. Complaining offends God because it's a slap in his face. to saying what you provided for me, what, the lot you've given me, the way you've made me and what you've done for me is not enough and I'm not happy with it. When we complain about everything, we're in essence saying that God messed up. Yes, life's hard, people are difficult, and things aren't always fair, but the God we serve is a good God and he's been good to every one of us and he's gracious to us. So let's remember in our complaining, we risk becoming offensive to God. Now, our generation's all wrapped up in something that's offensive. You know what? If you offend me, if I offend you, if we offend somebody else, who cares? Get over it. That didn't go over too good. Let me try it over here. <laughs> if, we're, if, we offend, if we're offensive or what we say, it doesn't matter if someone's offended. Now, we shouldn't go out of our way to offend people. But it's like, you Christians offend me. Okay, have a nice day. But if we offend each other, no big deal. But if we offend God, do we really want to offend the one who has our next breath in his hand, our next heartbeat, who provides everything we need, who controls uh, you know, the ebb and the flow of everything that comes into our life, that you will know, we'll, we'll keep our bodies healthy, that give us gifts and rewards that will determine where our mother-in-law lives when she gets older? we really want to offend that, God? Just a thought. So complaining offends God. Let's move on. What's the second problem with complaining? Complaining kills faith. You can't be complaining full-time, full-power, and exercising your faith at the same time. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Complaining is actually anti-faith. Faith says no matter what I see, I'm going to trust that God is good, that he's got my back, that he's working the details of my life out. Faith says that no matter what I'm going through at the moment, there are better days ahead, that heaven's my final destination, that no weapon formed against me can prosper. Come on, that's what faith says. And you know what complaining does? Complaining is the exact opposite of faith. God's not fair, and why did this happen, and I didn't deserve this, and I didn't reap this, and how come this one blessed, and how come I didn't get this? And that complaining offends God, and it kills faith. Remember, it's not possible to exercise our faith properly and complain at the same time. So one of them's got to go. Now, I understand life is tough, and I understand things are unfair sometimes, and I understand sometimes our complaints are legitimate Amen, they're looking at me like it's a trap. It's not a trap, I'm (laughs) being true. Once in a while, we can vent, we can complain. How many have someone in your life that they got big shoulders, you can go to them, you can vent to them? That's a blessing, amen? But I'm talking about when the sum total of our life is a constant stream of complaining. That's not pleasing to God, and that's not going to keep our faith intact. So remember, exercise your faith properly and resist the temptation to complain, even when, you know, it's legitimate. God looks at us when we have a legitimate gripe and we choose to praise him and to be hopeful and to maintain our faith. He looks at us and says, yeah, you're the kind of child I can bless because your faith is bigger than your complaints." So complaining can tick off God. Complaining can kill our faith. And number three, the last problem with complaining is this. Complaining is contagious. Do you ever get up, you're in a good mood, everything was going good, you're having a great day, you get to the office and they're all standing around the water cooler complaining. Complaining about the boss, complaining about the job, complaining about the workload. And before you knew it, that complaining got on you and now you're complaining right along with them. And you get so excited, you add some complaints of your own. Well, what about this? And the next thing you know, you've lathered each other up, and it's just a big, gloomy, dark, and you ruin the day before it started. Complaining is contagious. You know, having a good attitude is contagious. Having faith is contagious. Uh, uh, Trusting in God is contagious, but so is complaining. Complaining. If you stay around a chronic complainer long enough, they'll either drive you nuts like they did to Moses, or they'll drive you away from them and you won't want to be around them. If you've ever seen people that are always negative, always complaining, always criticizing, they're fault finders, they're grace killers, you you can see them coming, why? Because they part the crowd like a bad smell, (laughs) and nobody wants to be around them. Is that a little too graphic for Sunday morning, because complaining is like a bad smell. And you know what? The thing is, it, it gets on you because if you give yourself over to it, you don't smell it anymore, but you smell like it. Right. You ever see somebody who comes from like a certain restaurant where they had fajitas or something, and they come in, they got their clothes on, and they smell like onions and oil and stuff, and you're like, whoa, what's that? You know, or somebody who has too much garlic and they're like, hi, how are you? And you're like, whoa, you, you smell like you want to be alone. <laughs> what is that? That that stuff gets on us and we don't smell it anymore. But everybody else does. So complaining is contagious. I don't, I don't want to affect people in a negative way. I don't want to make the atmosphere gloomy and hopeless. No, I, I want to keep my faith. I don't want to offend God. Complaining is a big problem. And as Christians, we need to really discipline ourselves not to give ourselves over to it. We can complain once in a while. We can go into the presence of God and pour our hearts out. And sometimes it's a complaint. You read the Psalms. You read David in God's presence. He pours his heart out. And it might sound like complaining, but that's complaining in the right place. Because then God can change that heart. So let's bring this sermon in for a landing here. We've got 32 people to water baptize today. So exciting. Amen. Verse 29 says let. So we have control over what comes out of our mouth. And it also says unwholesome. Now, I told you I'd give you the uh, Greek definition of that word at the end of the message. And that word unwholesome literally translated from the Greek means rotten. I want you to think of sour milk, rotten meat, a rotten egg, rotten. So when the things that are coming out of our hearts are unwholesome, they are rotten, and the stench of it is expressed through our lips and it changes the atmosphere of everything around us. Now, the text concludes by telling us we should exchange our cursing, criticizing, and complaining for a different type of speech. Now listen to what the text says here. It says, but if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. In those words, there are three principles that would replace cursing, criticizing, complaining. Number one, uh, to have wholesome words instead of unwholesome words means that our words are productive. Look at what the text says, but if there are any good words for education. It's a good word. It edifies. What does edification mean? It means to build up. Do you realize the words we speak can either build others up or tear them down? When you speak to your children, you could either edify them, build them up, or you could tear them down. It's unwholesome to tear down a child with our words. It's unwholesome to tear down our spouse with our words. It's unwholesome to tear each other apart with our words. So we exchange that cursing, criticizing, and complaining for productive words, words that do good in another person's life. Amen? Number two, we exchange that cursing, criticizing, and complaining for words that are timely. Look what it says. According to the need of the moment, say that. So when something needs to be said, we need to say it. Have you ever had somebody say something to that you absolutely needed to hear at that moment? And it totally changed your mood, the atmosphere, your life. Have you ever had someone speak a word to you? Have you ever had the word of the Lord come to you? And finally, out of the darkness, the light comes on and you get it. And there's freedom. I'm talking about those kind of words. Amen. That we would speak a timely word. The Proverbs talks about this, that we speak, you know, uh, go, uh, words of gold laced in silver. It talks about that sort of thing that, uh, you know, a timely word, a word from the Lord that we can speak into someone else's life can totally change them. And that's what we should be using our mouths for. What's coming out of our mouths? Well, what's in our heart? Well, how do I speak timely words? How do I speak the word of the Lord? Well, first of all, we've got to let the Lord heal our hearts. And then secondly, we need to fill it with the word of God. Amen. You and I should be in the Word of God constantly, yeah. filling our hearts with the good things of God's Word so that when we open our mouths, it's going to come out at the right time, at the right place, and the right person's going to hear it, and it's going to make all the difference in their life. Number three, we exchange our cursing and complaining and criticizing for productive words, for timely words, and lastly, gracious words look how the text concludes so that it will give grace to those who hear now you might think well you know probably means you know if you say something nice you know people like it much better than if you say something mean so no but the word grace means unmerited favor so to be gracious with our words means that we say something to somebody that really they didn't they didn't necessarily deserve to hear So you have somebody who's rude, you have somebody who's pushy, you have someone who's critical, and instead of giving it back to them, you mix grace with it and you say something loving in place. You getting this today? Come on, this is black belt level (laughs) Christianity right here. (laughs) This is spiritual maturity. Why? Because when someone's rude to us, our our flesh is like, oh yeah? Watch this, I've been waiting to use this one, right? You know, Like some people are talking to you like, oh, man, you just stepped in it right now. You just, you're going to get it both. And that's the wrong thing. That's the sign that our hearts messed up. How many times when someone's rude or disrespectful, if we just are gracious and loving back to them, that we disarm the whole situation? I'll never forget one time I was a young man and I was driving and I went down a one way. I think I, I went the wrong way. And here comes a guy in a car and he rolls his window down and he starts yelling and screaming and cursing at me and his wife's sitting in the passenger seat. And when he was done, I said, I'm sorry, sir, you're right, I made a mistake. And his whole face turned white. And he said, "Uh, uh, it's okay. And as he drove away, I watched his wife lay into him. (laughs) I'll never forget that. I was like, but see, that gracious word disarmed the whole situation. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing it to get him in trouble with his wife, Tony. I just, that's what the Holy Spirit put in my heart at that time. Admit you're wrong and apologize. But God didn't know what to do with it. See, those words of grace, they disarm the worst of situations and circumstances. So let's exchange our cursing and criticizing and complaining for productive words, timely words, and gracious words. If we'll be willing to do that, we're not going to do it perfectly. These mouths are tough to control. But if we'll make a conscious decision to partner with the Holy Spirit as he's trying to work these things in us, we're going to change. It might be slow, but eventually we're going to get there because God finishes what he starts in us, especially if we cooperate with him. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, all of us, if we're being sincere and honest, we have to say, I need some work on my mouth. I need some work on the things that come out of our mouth. Some of us use language and it's vulgar and we've given ourselves license to do it and other people think it's funny, but it's not because it offends you, God, and the word says that we should be wholesome and holy and we should have holy speech. So Lord, we repent of that today. We ask you to forgive us and change us God, we can't control what comes out of our mouths, but we need you to heal our hearts. Father, I pray today that if we complain and criticize others, Lord, that you would deliver us from that. Deliver us from critical spirit. Deliver us from complaining about everything and just help us to be so overjoyed with the blessings you've given us in life that we just have no time or energy to complain. Father, I pray today that, Lord, where the unwholesomeness of words that have come out of us, have affected others and hurt others and killed grace in the life of others that you would forgive us, Lord. And if we got an opportunity, we would apologize or make restitution or speak gracious words in place of the ones we've spoken. Help us, Lord, to have mouths that are under control that no unwholesome word would come out of us. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Give him praise.